I'm Emma Woodhouse. I'm a two-time NCAA All-American, former Division I downhill skier, and host of the Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast. Each week, I'll get to interview some amazing and strong female athletes to discuss important topics in women's sports and what goes on inside the brain of an athlete. Perfectionism, recovering from injury, and bullying are just some of the many things that can defeat your spirits and ruin your confidence to perform. I know what it's like to feel hopeless, not knowing why you're not performing the way you want, and to feel alone thinking that no one could relate to what you're going through. Well, I'm here to change that. I'll bring these topics and stories to light and show you that you are not alone and that you can overcome those barriers to breakthrough. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode. It's your girl, Emma, and today we are back for part two of my chat with Erica Ward. In the previous episode, she talked all about her body image issues throughout college, comparing herself to her teammates in the weight room, as well as being able to feel good about her body now and the practices she's put in place to get there. Now for part two, we dig into more of her anxiety struggles, the adjustments she's felt going into college, as well as some tools and advice that have helped her with both of those things. Certain topics include dealing with anxiety in her everyday life, especially to perform, adapting to the college schedule, which she didn't expect to be affected by, and also some adjustments to team culture and vibing with her teammates. I'm excited for you to listen to her story and what tools have helped her to become the athlete and person she is today. If you haven't listened to part one of this interview, I would highly recommend listening to it before this episode because it explains things we talked about beforehand and there are just some really good nuggets of advice in there. As always, before we start the episode, if you are loving the podcast or this episode, please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you think of the podcast or if you resonated with any of the guests. It would help out the podcast so much and it would mean a lot to me to know your thoughts. All right. Well, welcome back, Erica. I really want to get into, because you had mentioned this before in our chat, where you experience anxiety. And so I would really love for you to first talk about when you started feeling these anxious tendencies. Yeah, for sure. So I think I can honestly all kind of started when I became super conscious of diet and exercise. Oddly enough, I think it it was definitely heightened because I think I, a lot of athletes like might even struggle with performance anxiety here and there a little bit. Like, I mean, I felt really pressured since I was probably 15 and that's where playing time and like the competition was just so intense. I think I started like having spurts of performance anxiety around then, but I really, it really was amplified when I was around 18 and again, kind of oddly in alignment with my whole background of the lifestyle and mental transition that I made with just diet and exercise again. But again, that also kind of heightened my performance anxiety as, as well was probably around 18. And honestly, I dealt with it and navigated it until I was a senior in college, at least performance anxiety and then good old regular anxiety every day in my life. So, so when you started feeling that like way, what, what would happen basically? Yeah, it's really hard to explain 
But if you go through it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You almost like me, I kind of want to like crawl out of my skin. And also, at least at school, being away from home, all I want to do is go home. You just want to like hug your mom. You want to be comforted because you feel so alone. And, you know, this was probably exacerbated by like what I was putting on myself, but also like what I was going through and the expectations and all that. But yeah, it just feels like you just feel a little hopeless, like not the world's going to end, but maybe some days you do feel that way. And it it is a little bit unexplainable because it's just, unless you go through it, you certainly can understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But it's like, you just want to hug from your mom or you want to crawl under your covers because you're just like nervous and anxious in terms of playing on the court. Like luckily before the match, I would definitely be nervous and that's good and healthy having those pregame butterflies in a lot of ways. Uh, And thank God it never paralyzed me so much because once my adrenaline kicked in, I was always pretty much okay. However, volleyball is extremely mental, especially in service where you're getting served at and like the server on the other team will literally target you. And not only are they targeting you, but it's like, then your initial thought, if basically you're getting served at is like, Oh, they think I'm the weakest passer. Like that's why they're aiming at me. And that's, you know, you don't have so much time to like think about that. When I was finally able to get into my flow, um, which some matches I never did, and it was really hard, and I was extremely stiff, and a lot of times would play through it. But I would say that the majority I was able to find my flow because volleyball is my passion. And after the games, I would just be so grateful that it finally clicked. But every match, first set, starting off first serve, all I wanted someone to hit the ball at me so I could so I could just get it so it would click and start flowing. And like sometimes the ball wouldn't come to me for like the first upwards of ten points, and I just like. What? And then you're anxious and that's good either. So that's kind of what it looks like on the court as well. But I even experienced every day in practice, which was brutal as well, because that's a majority of where your time is spent. So just being like high anxiety all the time is not fun. No, that's, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> and would you have like other negative thoughts going through well, in, in practice or in games. Yeah, for sure. So I'll answer in games. It's kind of similar in practice, but like in games, quite honestly, it was like, if I mess up, I'm going to be taken out. Don't miss this serve. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's this like little voice, you know, and you don't have time to think. So kind of being able to like either suppress that or overcome those thoughts again, was always great, but thinking those things during a match and like not knowing what coach is thinking of your play is tough. So that's kind of like, was my mindset a lot of games and then kind of same in practice. It was just kind of like, I, again, service very mental aspect of the game. You know, if you're just kind of having a few off balls, it will snowball. Unfortunately, like volleyball, Unfortunately, it's kind of like, if it's not your day, it's not your day. You can't like in soccer, I just can compare it. Cause I played soccer. You can work your tail off, run, get, get the ball, play super hard volleyball. It's like 
it's almost like the harder you try, the worse it's going to do, like you're going to play. So it's kind of even just being patient, but back to practice, it was kind of like when you would get in a funk and then you'd be like, great, am I even going to play in the next match? Like, which yeah, was also tough. Like having those thoughts, you couldn't just think about the game and like playing the game and enjoying it as much but when I did and I was able to still a lot of the time as well I mean that was the best yeah that's really interesting and it makes sense that it would be hard to get more momentum in volleyball because it's literally like not the same thing but it's people are serving to you and so it's just the same sort of stuff versus soccer like it's there's much more variety in different plays which is very interesting yeah, it, like there are a lot of uncontrollable elements of volleyball. Like I can't control if they're serving at me. The only things you can control in volleyball are your serve and your effort. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we would say. So yeah, I mean, again, it's kind of uncontrollable. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like that's where the effort comes in. You can work your tail off. But as I matured, I learned like I'm going to ride this wave. We also played so much. I mean, an average season is like 32 matches. Plus, obviously, practice every day. You play so much that, like, it's inevitable that you're going to get your groove back. It was just a matter of time. And sometimes I'd be in such, like, bad ruts that I'd be like, like, is it ever going to come? But it does. It's just just staying patient and kind of, like, relying on your fundamentals and your laurels. Yeah, I really like that. And, yeah, knowing that there's so many games and you're able to just be like, okay, yeah, it's not my day. And just on to the next one. I think that's really awesome that you think that way. I can understand being in that funk and feeling, well, in skiing, at least there is not as many races as like, there's only basically 12. And then if, and they're both like different disciplines too. So it's basically like, if you're good at one discipline, then you have like six chances, which is like kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah, sure. it's so crazy. But yeah, that's just awesome that you could just shake it off. Definitely easier said than done again. Yeah, yeah. And you're your own biggest critic too, but you're the only person standing in your way at the end of the day. So just kind of realizing that. And again, it wasn't easy. It came with maturity and time and figuring it out, but eventually got there. <laughs> Would you notice when you were starting to get anxious Like, would you try to calm yourself down in some ways? Like, how did you kind of go about that? Yeah, for sure. I read Mind Gym, this book, and I'm blanking on the author, but really the book talks a lot about the importance of breathing and visualization because when we're anxious and we tense up, like we kind of opposite, it's when we stop breathing because we're anxious, like our muscles tense, we can't move as fluidly and quickly and um, just kind of like react. And I actually read that book when I was going into college. So I did kind of have that basis of the importance of breath. And like, even in volleyball, it's so quick. You hardly have time to take a breath, but I would, like, I did not care. You know, I would do my whole thing where I talk to everyone really quick. And then before the next serve, like take a breath. And then definitely the visualization piece really helped me just with the performance anxiety of it all. I would have to visualize before practice, like not only games, literally practice 
we had this nice kind of reflection building at Bryant. I would go there before every single practice every day, really miss that aspect of my life. But, um, and just take a moment, get in that mindset, maybe do a little meditation and just visualization me quite as literally as simple as like closing your eyes and just picturing you making those plays or like, what would help me a lot is like kind of knowing specific plays that I already made and just like reimagining them in my head honestly helped me a lot. The importance of breath is crazy. And I would, I would recommend that book to all athletes. Mind Jim. Yeah. We'll look it up and put in the description. Yes, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. And we'll get into more about that towards the end of this episode, but I completely agree. Visualization is huge in skiing and also just breathing. And I can't, there's so many times where I would be so exhausted by the end of the run. And I realized that like, I wasn't breathing properly before I actually started. And it was a big reason why I didn't do very well because I would be so stiff. And like you said before, trying so hard, like it, it does not work if you're trying really hard and you're being stiff and just, and then you're not breathing. <laughs> right. Obviously not only do you need to breathe, but <laughs> the importance of it in being able to just fluidly perform. Mm -hmm. um, so, and the book talks about getting in your flow state and that's nothing better than that. And that's how it happens. Like <laughs> probably step one, like through that breath work. Yeah. I really want to get into this. You had mentioned to me that structure in college was really hard for you. And so I really want you to talk about why st the structure didn't work for you and the feelings you had around it. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we chatted about this topic and I first want to say that I think structure in Division One collegiate athletics that student athletes are put under and into is extremely important. And a lot of athletes thrive in it because to give some context for anyone who might not be familiar, basically you wake up early, six, seven, eight, uh, maybe some sports, they definitely, a lot of sports will do workouts in the morning, like obviously swim, like they'll be in the pool at 5 a.m. However, in my case, I'll just kind of give my spiel. I would wake up, try to have like a mini morning routine to then immediately go to class, knock out three classes to be done by like 11 noon, have a small break in the middle of my day to like maybe grab a bite to eat, maybe plan some homework, go directly to volleyball where, well, let me insert my uh, breathing time in there. That'd be like 10 minutes before I had to be there. But we also, for practice, if practice was at 2.30, you were on the court at 2. So you were in the locker room at 1.30. So you're there an hour early. So small break for, quote, lunch or in between that class and practice time, go to practice as early as upwards of an hour plus, have to set up everything, go through the motions, practice, go directly to lift. By the time lift's over, it's six, seven o'clock. You get a bite to eat with your teammates and then you do homework, really try to study, take a shower, wake up and do it all again the next day. So that's like a typical day. It's freshman year, you have study hall, you gotta like squeeze that in there. 
so yeah, like a bulk of your day, it's, it's very structured for you. Like I said, I think a lot of athletes thrive under that. And when it's taken away, when they graduate or they're not in season per se, they might struggle and find themselves confused with what to do with their time. I was the opposite. Like I think I've mentioned I'm type A. I love being able to make my schedule dictate what I do when I go somewhere, what I'm doing, what I'm wearing, but that was all determined for me. And I just really struggled kind of not having the, that freedom and ability to kind of like choose when and what I do. Like I like to work out in the morning, but I classed in the morning. We worked out in the afternoon. Like if I could have done practice, like I would have woken up at five to practice and then like have the rest of my day, but that obviously wasn't an option. So yeah, like whereas again, it was all good. I think most athletes, it is really beneficial. I though struggled with it and was frustrated with the lack of um, flexibility in my days. Did you know going into college that the structure was going to affect you in the way that it did? No, quite honestly, no one prepared me. And it's honestly difficult to prepare one for the typical day. Like even just maybe reciting mine might be able to provide some context, but not only is it like physically doing it, it's like the mental your exhaustion that you're, you go through. And so, no, it wasn't what I expected. I just kind of thought, oh, like practice and lift, no big deal. No one told me, yeah, we show up an hour early. This isn't even accounting too for like film, team meals, like whatever comes up, things constantly coming up, like fundraisers, stuff like that. And so it wasn't what I expected in recruiting. And even when I went on my visits, I mean, I did a typical day in the life, but doing it every single day is what you need to think about. Yeah. And did you talk with any other teammates or at least people that you met at school? Like, were they experiencing the same feelings that you were? Definitely. Um, I stayed really close with my club teammates who is like who I played with before going to school. And what really helped me was knowing that they were experiencing the same exact things at schools at all levels. You know, Brian is a smaller division one school in the Northeast conference. I had teammates playing in power five schools, the big 10. And quite honestly, we would just laugh because like of all the, that kind of range experiencing the same thing. Sometimes I actually felt like the smaller, you know, Brian was more rigorous and like structured and strict than these bigger schools. And I was like, geez, you know, but don't get me wrong. I think it helps a lot of kids with discipline. And I I hope that a lot are able to maintain that afterwards. For me, I was, that's something I was really looking forward to just being able to work out in the morning. And now I work a nine, eight to five, um, work out in the morning, kind of like check that off, work out and do the workout I want to do. And then, you know, come home and do what I want to do after work and like cook my meal and eat what I want when I want and whatever I want. It has definitely been fun. But again, we as athletes, our nature, like we do need structure to some extent. So I do think it's really good. However, I do think schools 
need to prepare athletes for when that structure is gone and you don't have someone telling you, you know, all these things, where to be, what classes you're going to take when you're practicing, what you're doing in practice, like what you're doing to work out, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. And just having that when you retire, this is what could happen, or this is how you could feel. Just having that in place at schools would be so helpful. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I could have used that for sure. Were you able to reach a point where you just kind of accepted that this is what it was going to be? And like, how did it make it easier on, on your mind? For sure. I mean, you just have to surrender to it. Like there's, unless you want to quit, like quite honestly. So yeah, accepted it though. is probably the proper (laughs) term. And I will kind of segue into this, I'm sure. But what did help me just navigate it was trying to find, like, really utilizing those pockets of time that you did have or the off days to do what was important to me and structure it the way I wanted to with a little downtime you did have. Like, again, I mentioned we would show up an hour early. That was like such a traditional thing that we did. And we'd show up and be so early. For me, I was like, why are we showing up an hour early? I'm not going to lie. Like, I could have like done a quick assignment, had a decent meal. Like, so quite honestly, I think that um, at least my program, we were kind of able to like uh, even address that and start being, it was kind of an unspoken norm in, a, in our program and just kind of like shifting that. I don't know. Just again, making, taking advantage of the time you do have, making adjustments here and there will help all the more in terms of like at least accepting it and not, you know, going crazy because it's four years. <laughs> yeah. And you've mentioned this a little bit throughout this chat where that was just kind of the norm of the program or like the team. And so talk a little bit about that. And just, I can Im- imagine, and I actually am guilty of this with doing the same thing and like, this is what you have to do. And then if, a teammate is like, why, why are we do that? I don't want to do that. Then you're like, why aren't you, yeah, why are you like that? Because <laughs> they're questioning like the status quo, how things are. It's just like, this is how things are and this is how we do it. But mm-hmm. someone, and I didn't question things mentally. I did, but I did not until I was probably a senior, like at least upperclassmen, you know, cause you've, you've earned at least that. And yeah. So those norms, I'm taught like some examples too. It can be as small as like, for us, we have specific things in volleyball in like these unspoken rules, like even like the being down there 30 minutes early, like no one really told you, but that's just kind of like what you were expected of. And it's like, no one told the freshmen. So it was almost like they wanted to see you like not show up and everyone be like, where is this person? When you're like, Oh, I literally had, I thought I had like 30 minutes. Um, again, these unspoken things, just how we operate, you know, what we wear, how we present ourselves as small as how we um, leave the cafeteria when we um, got there. Like we left every place better um, than when we, when we got there, I actually ended up making and typing up a, what did I call it? Not a guidebook, a playbook. I made a playbook literally bringing words to all of these norms, rules that no one told you. Cause I'm like, why wouldn't we explain it? If you, if there's an expectation, it needs to be communicated, you know? Cause then why are we holding people to something that they don't, I don't even know. And I did that because I experienced it. And again, it's almost like a rite of passage. You know, you kind of learn the hard way 
and kids still do, but even when it's like spoon fed to them, but I just didn't think that made sense. And so kind of something I was proud of, if you will, to like, at least leave that, that I think it's kind of like a living document that they update and stuff. So yeah, it's just like these norms, rules, and traditions that can one, I guess, be questioned, but two, at least brought to light and that aren't so unspoken. Like just thinking if that were me, I would almost take that as like, if I showed up and they're like, where were you? And you were supposed to be here and they didn't tell you that that's all to me that I took that as like, that's losing trust a little bit. Like they wanted you to mess up and see like how you would react to it. And then like, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's wild that that happened for sure. And again, yeah, sometimes it's like learning the hard way, but at the end of the day, we did always strive. Like we just had this we had standards in our program and it was like, if you didn't meet this and you didn't hop on the bandwagon real quick, you're falling off. So like it's get on or get off. Yeah. And that's awesome that you created, like you took the time and created something for the incoming freshmen and just letting them know what, I mean, that's kind of crazy that like, this is how it is. Like, and I feel like to an extent that makes sense. Like, okay. Yeah. You want to be presentable and you don't want to say bad things in the cafeteria or whatever. Yeah. That's awesome that you made that and that you're just letting them know. Right. Like I definitely really valued using resources. I'm a big John Gordon fan and he has like so many great books, but it all comes down to communication and, you know, as a leader and I'm like, this just makes sense. Like to me, it was almost like common sense. And I love doing that stuff. I, I could type up and outline like that's So satisfying. It's the student in me. And so I was like happy to do it. And uh, maybe it's a little legacy. I don't know. Maybe it dies out, but, um, I, I just wanted to be able to know that I did everything I could at least to like help everyone else out and just try to make the program better. That's so awesome. And did your teammates, did they go over and be like, oh yeah, that's exactly. For sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I got, you know, recommendations, yeah, suggestions. Uh, it, it grew to be like very collaborative. Quite honestly, it was just, I was like, let's just put this on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just talk about this. Yeah. And I, well, I'm glad that they were willing to do that instead of being like, no, let's keep surprising oh, people. Oh, no, for sure. Like, <laughs> I think the tide had turned by the time I was doing this where everyone really experienced that and was like, yeah, I don't want someone else to go through what I did. It must have been like the upper class generation. Generation, yeah. 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 Okay, so let's go back to really that like meditation, like stuff that really helped you. And so want you to go like a little bit more in depth with how you cope with like your anxious tendencies and walk us through what you do in your meditation practice and then just being in that flow state that you said. Yeah. First, I think it's important to identify and just know, like I kind of know, and I think anyone who struggles with this might know like, okay, it's coming on. I can sense it. You can feel it, but just kind of like defining it and understanding, okay, this isn't like it's coming (laughs) is step one, even now, 
and not even, I won't even speak, uh, I'll, I'll get to in terms of like court stuff. I mean, I know I kind of went into that of my routine there, but number one would just be to identify it, define it. And then quite honestly, I would just do little things that try to like, that would help me, whether it was sleeping in a little bit, which I wouldn't want to do, or literally just having like a nice sit down breakfast, like foregoing, jumping into work, you know, again, like using that down, that little bit of downtime you do have, um, just try to do something like for yourself. I know it's really hard even just to call home and like, that's even just talking to someone would help me. I mean, it is really hard. And after the whole day that I would struggle, I would just kind of like go to bed, hoping and praying that tomorrow was a better day. And a lot of times it is, and it it would be. And so like, that was just kind of like having hope around that. And I mean, something, I guess a no brainer, something I should speak to is that I did go on medication, like through my therapy and it was just kind of determined like a low dosage of anxiety medication fits for me. And actually by doing that around that time was when I really started being able to better navigate my whole struggles with like food and um, body image that also caused a lot of anxiety. I noticed that even just like the medication helped. And again, I'm not necessarily encouraging or discouraging. That's just what's worked for me. So yeah, I think it's really simple though to just, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, but just like identify it, know it's coming. I guess something too that like I do religiously that really I get anxious when I don't stay on my routine. And it's really hard when your life is in limbo. Like I mentioned, I was moving and all of that. Like it was really easy for have high anxiety. But what grounds me so much is my morning routine specifically where I wake up, I do like my hygiene, brush my teeth, whatever. Basically, immediately, if I want tea, make tea quick, sit down, I journal, I do devotionals, and sometimes in there on a great day, I'll, I'll meditate in there as well. And nothing like that to like ground you. And, and honestly, like the antithesis of anxiety is preparation. So if you just know, like, what you need to do to prepare, it it will help you. Yeah, definitely. And like, were you hesitated with implementing this, this sort of stuff and slowing down? Not with the morning routine, because I read, I don't know, books that really inspired me and propelled that. I know I've mentioned to you, like, I'm very faith-based and just kind of that aspect I really had to tap into. And I did. And that's what helped me get through a lot of days. You know, one of my favorite verses is be anxious for nothing, um, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, like ask God, like give it to God, basically. I mean, that's really bad quote, but that's just what really helped me a lot too. In terms of medication, I was extremely hesitant to go on it. I think I mentioned, like, I didn't even want to do therapy. I did not want to do medicine. I wanted to try to navigate this like holistically, but quite honestly, when you have a chemical imbalance, like in your brain and body, it's okay. Like a load and to just see if that might work for you. 
but I was extremely hesitant. And now I know like kind of what does work for me, but I, I can see where people might have apprehension around that. Well, I'm on ADHD medication. And at first I was a little worried about how I was going to feel because the doctor was like, yeah, you're, you're going to feel a little different. (laughs) So it was really weird at first, but I knew that when I would go on this, that I wouldn't be so down on myself because I was trying to fix myself, but it's almost out of your control when it's in your brain. It's the chemical imbalance. Yeah. And I'm no expert, so I'm not going to pretend to be, but exactly. Like we, it, there, it comes to a point where like you, you can do all of the tools, really try to quote fix yourself and prepare and do all the things, but it gets to a point where it's out of your control. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> what do you think would be the easiest way for someone to get started? And just implementing these sort of like either meditation or looking into faith, like all, or that source of, what do you think is the easiest way? Absolutely. First, I do want to throw out and plug the book that changed my life. It's called Resisting Happiness by Matthew Kelly. And that's where I really started to get into the whole routine of things. And again, almost sometimes to a fault, but... I will say he just starts really simply with incorporating 10 minutes a day to either reflect, meditate, pray. I mean, 10 minutes. And that's where I mentioned the time I would take before practice. That was my 10 minutes. And I kind of had my whole um, other routine I went through in the morning. But I think a lot of kind of uh, books, influencers, like this isn't groundbreaking stuff. Having a set morning routine is essential to catapult you into your day to make for a great day. So whatever that looks like for you, if it's immediately waking up, getting your workout in, like hitting the ground running, like that's great. For me, it needed to be a little slower because I basically do that like the rest of the day. So yeah, I would really just recommend number one, just trying to carve out 10 minutes, whether it's waking up 10 minutes earlier on your lunch break in between when you have a gap classes, et cetera, find a quiet place that's kind of your safe haven. I was able to find it, Brian, like super thankful. And I'd also recommend maybe a second step is to buy a journal. I really highly recommend just doing that to journal, reflect, whatever that looks like for you are two, I think, easy ways to start. In terms of faith, um, definitely if you're not have a specific faith you follow maybe yet, or have been like influenced and grew up around. Uh, I know a lot of schools just have like ours. We had the interfaith center and maybe just like trying to find someone maybe, you know, of that's involved or goes to church, whatever denomination, or, you know, just trying to explore and maybe do some research on it. Um, I would also really recommend if that's something that you're curious of exploring, but also just like very simple devotionals as well. So, and then a very simple devotional, pretty much for any denomination of Christianity, I would say is Jesus calling. And a devotional is simply a reflection for every day, 365 days. So very simple and easy to read, you know, dated. And it, in most cases, takes a Bible verse or just incorporates a verse. 
into that reflection, that devotion for the day. And again, it's very simple and no expert here, but I think the goal of them is to really relate it to modern day. And again, make a simple connection with the Bible, which can be definitely intimidating and traditional and tie that in um, the themes into modern day is, is what a devotional is. I'm really thankful that you've given your advice throughout this entire episode and just because the first step is always the hardest, just getting started with it. And so I love that you just voice like this is a first step, like this is what you could do. Absolutely. And again, it's easier said than done, but these are so simple things like anyone can do. And if it's something you want to get into, you have to prioritize it and you will not regret it. It it changed my life. Just the ideals of a simple morning routine and taking 10 minutes to break up my day before practice to do a a quick reflection and visualization for, for my sport. So simple. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah, it's so simple yet. It's so important. And sometimes it can be yeah powerful. Yeah. Last question. What is next for you? I love this question, Emma. I'm so excited. So as I mentioned, I graduated, I majored in um, global supply chain and loved, I I love it. Enjoy what I do. I work uh, for a biotech company. It's very corporate. However, in transitioning and just jumping into the corporate world and in real world, there's of course a void, not only for your sport, but just the stimulation that came with it. And so kind of taking on a side passion project with actually my, um, the former digital content creator at Brian and I have started this passion project of creating in a platform, a brand in a podcast called from you to you. So it's like from you, the letter to you. So you as in university, she's a little bit older than me. And we are actually neighbors down here in Rhode Island and uh, got to talking. And again, she, uh, she was a swimmer and being older than me, still struggling to this day with things that I started talking to her that I was struggling about and just wanted to bring light and awareness to these conversations, just like you, Emma. So that's definitely what's next. And what I'm striving to do I'm pretty happy and content on the front of fitness in my working out and just kind of enjoying like life and food with friends and being social, but finding that balance. And yeah, I mean, my two big things, I guess, in life are work. And then this passion side project I'm working on with her that really fuels me as well. Yeah, that's so exciting. I'm so excited to listen to it. and. Yeah, just seeing what you create. Yeah, you guys can definitely look out for that in um, early 2022. Really, you know, trying to put out the most valuable content, do it right. So I really appreciate it. And it's been so awesome to like meet you through these platforms as we share similar ideals and um, somewhat experiences, just even sharing the commonality of being a student athlete Mm -hmm. and trying to bring awareness to these topics and yeah, just meeting through it has been such a joy. And I know that we'll definitely be collabing in the future. Yeah. I'm so excited. And it was, it was so nice meeting you. Like we got connected from, it was basically a friend of a friend and it's just, yeah, it's so cool. 
podcasting has been awesome just to meet people. And I'm really glad that you came on, shared your experiences, was very authentic with it, and just, yeah, just shared your wisdom and and what how you can help people out there. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you for the opportunity. Seriously, anyone, please, if any of this resonated with you and you need someone, please reach out. I'm no expert. I know I said that. This is just all my experiences. You can find me at my personal Instagram. It's at Erica, E-R-I-K-A-M Ward. So E-R-I-K-A-M-W-A-R-D. Seriously, feel free to reach out. Um, and that's not even a plug of myself, just trying to, um, if anyone needs someone to talk to, uh, I've been through a lot, so would be happy to, and really look forward to hopefully connecting also with your audience in the next year as we release the podcast as well. Yeah. <laughs> so excited. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emma, for having me and looking forward to the future. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to the Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast. If you love this episode or want to support the podcast, please click on that subscribe button and leave a rating and review. I would be forever grateful. You can also follow and connect with me on Instagram at Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast and on my website at emmawoodhouse.ca. Thanks again for tuning in and keep on breaking those barriers to your inevitable breakthrough.